Amen. Everybody, please be seated. It is time for the children's message. So if you're a child, we want you to come up here and meet with me just for a minute. Come on up here. If you're visiting, we have a little message for the kids. You can send your kids up here if they want to come. We'd love to have them. All right. Come on, buddy. He likes to sit by you. That's right. All right. Hey, bud. Come on, Landon. You can sit up here with us. All right. That's your sister? Thanks for letting me know. I appreciate that. All right. One more. Come on up here. You can have a seat up here with us. We'd love to have you. All right. That looks like everybody. Do you guys know what this is? A megaphone? Yeah. Is it, is it like a chair? Do I use it for sitting? Abel likes to use it like a false hand. Is that what it's for? A gun hand? Oh, a gun hand? Yeah, he likes to do that too. What do, what do we use this thing for? Like this? Like this? Like that? Yes. It's for delivering messages so people can hear you. Have y'all ever had a message, something to say to a friend that you really wanted them to hear, but maybe they didn't really want to hear you tell them? It was something they really needed to know, and they weren't real interested in, in hearing you. And so you had to tell them over and over again until finally they listened. Yeah, it's tough sometimes, right? We have someone we care, we love, and we want to share a message with them, but they don't always want to listen. I have a message, right? So I've got family up in Iowa. I've got friends up there. I have some in, uh, family in St. Louis or in Kansas City. And you know what my one message to them oftentimes is? Just a fun message. It's to tell them to come down to Key West. Isn't Key West amazing? Isn't it beautiful down here? How many of y'all have had a chance to go out in a boat and see like 30 feet down to the bottom of the water? Isn't that pretty amazing? Have y'all been out and like seen a turtle out in the water or a dolphin or maybe a manatee? Isn't that, a cr isn't that crazy? I tell my family all the time... Just one second. I tell my family all the time to come down here. You know what? And you know what they always tell me? We're going to come down and visit. We're going to come. We will. Most of them have never been down to visit me. But you know what happens when they come down to visit? You know what they say? Why did I wait so long to come to Key West? So I keep telling them that message. Does God have a message for us to share? What's that message? What do you think? The gospel, to tell people about who? God and Jesus. About Jesus, that's right. About what Jesus did in our lives, right? And sometimes people don't want to hear that message, right? But you know what God wants us to do? Keep telling them the message. You know why? Because one day, they're going to hear it. And Jesus is going to change their life just like he changed your life. So, we need to get this congregation ready to share the gospel, right? They need to get ready and be excited about Jesus, right? So let's, I want you guys to all stand up and face, face the congregation. You can stand on the steps right here, okay? Stand here right here. Everybody stand and face this way. I'm going to stand right here. So do you think that they can get the message out about Jesus? Let's practice. I want you guys to say as loud as you can, 
praise the Lord when I count to three, all right? Now, when they say praise the Lord, I want you guys to say praise the Lord. You think you can do it? Okay, I'm counting on you. All right, ready, guys? One, two, three. Good. All right. Thank you very much. I think we're ready to leave this place and praise the Lord. Very good. The word of the day today, the word of the day today, it's a, it's a weird one. You have to pay very close attention. It's Festus. Okay? Festus. It's a name. Festus. You guys did a great job. Go have a seat. Quickly. Tell me quickly. That's true. All of us aren't sure about everything all the time. Thanks, buddy. All right. All right, church. Take, it's always deep theological truth from Abijah. I appreciate that. Sometimes I'm not sure about everything. He hit the nail on the head right there. Do you all feel that way sometimes? All right, so you know how we're going to fix that today? We're going to go to the truth of the Word of God and find some truth directly from him. Take out a copy of God's Word. Open it with me to Acts chapter 25 today. Acts chapter 25. I want to give you a brief um, summary of what's going on in the Apostle Paul's life at this point in the book of Acts. Paul has, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, left his mission field out with the Gentile people and gone back into Jerusalem. He knew as he followed the Lord and his direct calling into Jerusalem, that he would be arrested, that he would be persecuted. But he also knew that God was going to use him in an amazing way. And, and Paul, at this point, also knew that God was going to move him into Rome so he could preach the gospel there. Paul goes to Jerusalem, begins to share the gospel and share fellowship with the Jerusalem Christians, they ask him to go and provide a sacrifice and to be purified as a demonstration of his love for God, of his love for the Jewish people, and the fact that he still abides by the law while following Jesus. So Paul does everything in accordance with the law as directed by uh, God's word and by the direction of the Jerusalem church. While fulfilling the purification rite, in the temple, a riot begins. A riot started by Judaizers and other liars who sought to have Paul beaten, persecuted, arrested, and killed. During this riot, Paul is saved by none other than a Roman commander named Lysias, which is really funny. So the Romans are not protecting Paul. He goes into their custody Lysias finds out uh, shortly before having Paul beaten harshly that Paul's a Roman citizen. So Paul has certain rights. He must be tried before beaten, before imprisoned. So Lysias asked Paul if he'd be willing to go in front of the Sanhedrin, this is a group of Jewish leaders, in order to stand trial in front of them about whatever laws they think he'd broken. Paul goes in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, uh, in Jerusalem, and he shares his testimony. He also confronts them about the illegality of his arrest and beating, which also is against the Jewish law. Another uh, riot erupts among the people. Lysias, the commander of the Roman uh, group there in Jerusalem, snatches Paul away, drags him up, Paul then goes to Caesarea to stand trial in the Roman court. 
The Roman leader of that court deems that Paul really had done nothing wrong, but he's a weak man and he's afraid to release Paul. And so he just holds him in jail for two more years. That Roman leader leaves and another one comes to take his place. And this is where we catch up with Paul in Acts chapter 25. Paul is under Roman guard with some freedoms to receive visitors, food, care, all those kinds of things. We're going to look today in, in Acts chapter 25 and chapter 26 as we see Paul in this trial in the midst of which he shares his testimony about the power of Jesus Christ to change a life. Within our study of Acts 25 and 26, you're going to hold your place there, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, also written by Paul. And in this particular text, Paul is going to give us an understanding. He's going to give us some answers to questions that many of us have in fulfillment of the Great Commission to go out from this place and to share the gospel and make disciples, teach people to follow Jesus. But first, let's look at Acts chapter 25. Let me give you a summary of this chapter. Beginning in verses 1 through 7, the new governor, Festus, has arrived on the scene. And the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem act quickly. They have been waiting for this new guy to come so that they could murder Paul. Festus, however, is wise to their schemes. He's not about to release Paul into their authority, knowing that he would quickly be murdered. So he invites them to accompany him back to Caesarea from Jerusalem so that they could hold a proper Roman trial. A few days later, the trial begins, and verse 7 says, When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. So not one shred of evidence is brought to the attention of Roman authorities that Paul had done anything wrong. Still, Paul is called in, and in verses 8 through 11, he makes his defense. He's innocent of every charge brought up against him by the Jewish leaders. Specifically, he's not broken one single Jewish law. Second, he's not broken any temple regulations. Not one witness is found that could be brought before Festus as uh, bringing a testimony or evidence that Paul had done anything wrong or broken any one of their laws. Finally, he's not broken one single Roman law. The Jewish leaders were unable to prove that Paul had done anything wrong whatsoever. Paul is wise, however. One of the wisest men that ever lived, I believe. He knows that the Jewish leaders have Festus's ear, right? Because remember, the, the rule of law in Rome was harsh. And if you were a leader, a governor, a commander, the single most important thing you were to do with the Jews is keep order. They would do any and all things necessary to quell rebellions, to keep people from rising up and raising their voices. And if they were to do that wrong, execution awaited those leaders. And so Paul knew this. 
And so at the end of his sort of pretend trial, Paul appears, uh, appeals to Caesar. Provocatio is what that's called in Roman law. Originally, it was his right to a jury by peers, but they had long since gotten rid of that. Now he had the right to appeal to stand before Caesar and make his case. And at this time, the Caesar over Rome was Nero. He had not yet gone crazy, and he was not yet persecuting Christians to the degree that one day he would do. But Paul felt, I'm sure, that he had a better chance of survival appealing to Nero than staying where he was, and so he did. As we continue on in Acts chapter 25, a new man and woman appear on the scene. King Agrippa and his wife Bernice arrive. Caesar had appointed Agrippa king over this and some surrounding area. So he, when he came on the scene, he was now the one in charge of everything that happened. He was uh, part of a long line of rulers that Rome appointed to rule in this area, harshly and horribly. So Festus reveals the trial notes with Agrippa when he arrives. And after hearing this, Agrippa uh, agrees that he would like to hear Paul for himself. Acts 25 is a narrative describing Paul's trial in front of Festus. It contains a lot of important details, but Festus offers something very important for us to hear today. In chapter 25, verse 19, Festus identifies the real reason that Paul has been beaten, arrested, and put on trial. And this is what it says. Festus is speaking here. He says, instead, they had some disagreements with him. These are the Jewish leaders and Paul. About their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man, Paul claimed to be alive. So even Festus understood at the foundation of this argument, the reason Paul was arrested, beaten, put in jail, the reason the Jews wanted to kill him was because he proclaimed the gospel about Jesus Christ. That Jesus was in fact the Savior sent by God. That he was put on a cross unjustly. That he died as a penalty for our sins. That he was buried in the ground, but that he didn't stay dead. That he rose again on the third day. That the Jesus who was killed by the Roman and Jewish leaders was not in fact dead, but he was alive in heaven. And this is the disagreement that they had. Why did Paul's declaration of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, his identity as the Savior, why did that infuriate the Jewish leaders and so many others? Why did so many Gentiles like Festus dismiss the gospel as a foolish notion? Why? The Bible says why. Because the gospel is a stumbling block to many. Our first point that we find in Acts 25, based on Paul's trial and testimony, is that the gospel is a stumbling block to many. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is now going to give us commentary on Paul. Right? 
to his letter, in his letter to the, the Corinthian church, he's now going to make comments, inspired by God, of course, about why people don't believe the gospel. Paul explains why. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. The word of the cross, or the message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, blood poured out as an atonement, buried in the ground, risen to life on the third day, conquering death and sin, providing an opportunity for us to be reconciled with God. That's the word of the cross. That's the gospel message. That message has two meanings to every single person who hears it. To those who are perishing. To those who do not yet know Jesus. To those who remain unmoved by the gospel message, it's folly. It's foolishness. It's nonsense. To those who are currently awaiting utter ruin in hell, where they will endure the wrath of God for eternity. To those who are spiritually blind, the word of the cross, the gospel message is nonsense. But... To those of us who are being saved. To those who hear the gospel and receive it into their hearts. It is quite something different, isn't it? To the believer, it is the most magnificent message we've ever heard. Amen? It's a message bringing salvation and redemption And hope, purpose for our existence. Some of us hear the message of the cross, and by the power of God, we have been and continue to be saved. But to others, that message continues to be nonsense. What a sad fact of our reality. Why, I ask. Why is the word of the cross nonsense to so many? Well, Paul answers that question a little bit later in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But to the person without the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated or understood spiritually. Paul reminds us of God's promise about the way he works in this world. As we continue in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Church, the ways of the Lord are not the ways of man. God sees not as man sees, but in a perfect way. Man looks upon appearance, and God sees the heart. And thus, the wisdom of man is 
foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. That would be like a drop of water in the ocean. Paul considers the way that this world has treated the message of the cross in light of who it is who prepared it for us. And he asks this question in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? It's the same today as it was in Paul's day. The great scientists, the entrepreneurs, the political leaders, and the thinkers known for their ability to impress the world are still unable to understand the message of the cross. God's miraculous plan that he ordained before the beginning of time in order to bring salvation to his creation brought to fruition during the single greatest event that took place in the history of the world, which is Jesus' death and resurrection, is considered to be nonsense by, most of the mo- by the most influential people in our day. Why? Verse 21 answers that question. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. By God's perfect plan, the message of the cross can only be understood through a spiritual awakening within the heart and soul of every person. This is a process that no one and nothing on this earth can explain. We cannot understand it apart from the illumination of God's work in our lives through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This means we don't think our way to Jesus. We don't feel our way to Jesus. We hear the gospel presented to us, and then by the miraculous work of God through the ministry of His Holy Spirit on our hearts, we receive We understand. How does God do this? How does God take the lost sinner and save them through the message of the gospel? Look at verse 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This part is amazing. God was pleased to save those who believe through the the foolishness of what is preached. Let me read it again. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Somehow, in a way that only God could design, God became man and dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life, perfectly fulfilling the law. God gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. God died on that cross. He was buried in the ground, and miraculously, he was raised again on the third day. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son, ascended to be with at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And now, in God's perfect plan, he's chosen through you and me for us to go out into this world with this message. Through all our mistakes, through all our problems, through all our shortfalls, 
He's chosen to use us to stand out on the platforms in front of the people of this world and to proclaim the gospel. Now here's the miraculous part about it. Because there's lots of people on platforms proclaiming all kinds of messages out there, right? They're on your phone, they're on your television, they're literally standing out there with all kinds of messages. God has chosen to use us to proclaim a message, not just to speak into the air with a message. What does the text say? To save those who believe. And so we're going to leave this place and, and we're going to go out. And here's God's promise. You're going to go out from this place and most, many of the people in this world are going to think that this message, this gospel message is foolish. But God will save some and he's going to use you to do it. To those who hear it, to those who really hear it, it's going to change their life. That's, that's all of you. You're the ones who heard the message. You remember that day? Do you remember the day you really heard the gospel? You might have heard the gospel 25 times before that, 100 times, I don't know. But do you remember the day you heard it? Do you remember what God's spirit did inside of your heart, bringing you to salvation in Christ? That's the fulfillment of the promise in verse 21. He continues in verse 22. Here's a struggle. Here's in Paul's day, and then we'll apply this to our day. Here's why people struggled with the gospel in his day. Look at verse 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So in Paul's day, there were two types of worldliness that kept Jews and Greeks or people away from faith in Jesus. The, the Jews were continually demanding that Jesus demonstrate miraculous works or signs. Now here's the problem. Do you know how many miraculous signs Jesus demonstrated while he walked on this earth? Jesus healed the sick. He, he brought sight to the blind. He brought hearing to the deaf. He brought dead people back to life. The Bible says in the Gospels that he healed entire regions of people of all their illnesses. Jesus, in fact, fulfilled all the signs that the Old Testament said would be fulfilled by the Messiah. And yet, his people came to him time after time after time asking for signs. And nothing had changed at this point in time. Still, the people of Israel demanded from God more signs, more signs, more demonstrations of your power to bring us to faith in this Jesus you proclaim. The problem is that the heart seeking after signs will never see enough to bring them to faith in Christ because they're spiritually blind. Likewise, the Greeks, who were Gentiles, 
They sought after the things of God through careful investigation, which they believed would lead them to have the capacity to know God. Because God is known by faith in Christ through his sacrificial act on the cross, to those who seek after God according to signs, the message of the cross will be a stumbling block, or as Criswell states, a scandal over which they fall and fall and fall, unable to truly know God because of their lack of faith in Christ. Because God is known by faith in Christ through his sacrificial act on the cross. To those who seek after God according to the power of human philosophy, those who seek after God using our own minds, our own human reason, the message of the cross is nonsense. Because the knowledge of God can only be received from God. He has to reveal himself to you. Let me just speak to your voice of reason today. Does it make any sense that I could sin against a holy God? That I could live a life contrary to his will and his way and his desire for my life? That I could be separated from him eternally because of that. And that all of that could be fixed by one man dying on the cross, buried in the ground, rose again on the third day. That doesn't make sense in our economy. I should have to earn my salvation from God. I should have to do good works. I should have to do penance. I should have to do right things to make myself right with God. But that's not what the gospel says. Contrary to our human wisdom, the gospel says that it's by God's grace that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That we are reconciled with our God, not by what we do, not by what we say, not by what we think, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Many people will stumble over the gospel because they want to see God move just one more time in their life. Because they want answers to questions they don't have answers to. Because they want to be able to work it out in their minds. They want to earn it. They want to deserve it. If so many people stumble over the gospel, if so many people are going to reject the message, why share the gospel? Why should we bother telling people about Jesus? Because many people will be saved. Between today and when Jesus returns, the Bible promises us that more and more and more and more people will be saved. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. People all around this world are going to be saved. But they're going to be saved by you and I proclaiming the gospel. By you and I telling them about Jesus. About what Jesus has done in our lives. Paul believed this. Go back to Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, Paul stands before King Agrippa and their entourage. Now he appeals to Agrippa's knowledge of Judaism. Apparently Agrippa knew the law well. He had Jewish heritage. 
he knew, Paul knew that Agrippa knew that he had not broken any laws. In verse 6 and 7, Paul articulates the reason why he's been arrested and put on trial. He says, because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors, the promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. The hope of a Messiah. The hope in this one that God would send to save them as a people, fulfilled in Jesus. He tells Agrippa, it's because of my faith in Jesus that I've been arrested, put on trial, beaten. Next, while on the trial of his life, Paul is not one to miss one single opportunity to tell people about Jesus, right? It doesn't matter where this guy is. It doesn't matter that his life is hanging in the line. He's now standing in front of two of the most important, most powerful people in that region of the Roman world, right? So if, if anybody should get a pass right now, right, it should be Paul. Any of you guys ever, like, not shared the gospel when you knew you should have and you, like, asked God for a pass, like, God, you know, I was busy, I just didn't have time. Anybody? I didn't have time. God, the, the circumstances weren't right. I didn't, I didn't feel like I should do that. Anybody? I've done that before. Or how about this one? Like, that person has said no to the gospel uh, last time I shared with them about Jesus, so I'm just kind of done with that, right? We've done all those things, right? So Paul, on trial for his life, deserves a pass, right? But that's not how Paul lived his life. Paul sees every moment, every circumstance of his life as a platform to share the gospel. And that's exactly what he does here. In verses 8 through 11, he describes his life before he met Jesus. He, he tells Agrippa, I was just like these guys, only more so. I hunted down Christians. I arrested them. I even left Jerusalem on my way to Damascus with letters uh, with authority from the Jewish leaders from the Sanhedrin to go into that place and to drag those Jewish Christians back here so we could put them on trial and punish them. Then Paul talks about what happened to him on the road to Damascus, where he met Jesus. And then in verses 16 to 18, Paul tells Agrippa about God's mission for his life. Specifically, Jesus says this, I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So finally, Paul says what his life was like before Jesus. Then, then Paul says, this is how I met Jesus. And now he says, this is how Jesus changed my life. This is what Jesus commanded me to do. Festus, who's sort of like standing by on the side, he considers the gospel foolishness, right? So Festus can't help himself. Have y'all ever, ever been sharing the gospel in a public situation, maybe with a friend over coffee, and just had someone like three tables away just say something in the middle of that conversation? I have, that happens to me all the time. We'll be, you know, in Starbucks or wherever, or even out in public, and I'll just be, you know, telling somebody about Jesus. I'll have someone like 10 feet away be like, Either like, amen, brother, that's amazing, I believe that, and I'm just like, woohoo, here we go. We got, we got believers all around this place. Or at other times, I'll have people be like, that's ridiculous, and walk away, or snort, or huff, or whatever, 
And I know it's directed at me, right? I know that's the enemy. The enemy doesn't want people to hear the gospel. This is what happens to Paul. Festus cries out to him in verse 24. You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study has driven you mad, right? What did he count? The gospel is foolishness. Paul continues unmoved, right? Right now, Paul, with laser focus, is looking at Agrippa. Festus is in his ear like a mad chihuahua. And Paul's like, I don't think so. I don't have time for this. Right now, I'm talking to Agrippa. Verse 25. I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking the words of truth and good judgment. For the king, this is Festus, or Agrippa, knows about these matters. Right? So Paul knows, Agrippa knows about Jesus. And I can speak boldly to him. Who? This is talking to a Roman king right now. For I am convinced that none of these things have escaped his notice, since none of this was done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Right? So that's Paul's call to action in Agrippa's life. King Agrippa, I know you know what I'm talking about. Today's the day. Do you want to be saved today? Do you want to follow Jesus today? Well, Agrippa rejects Paul's invitation to follow Jesus. But he does recognize Paul's innocence. When we read through Acts chapter 26, and we recognize Paul's faithful presentation of the gospel to his captors, many of us are reminded that those people of those people in our lives who've rejected the gospel. I'm sure you have friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members and children who've rejected Jesus. When that happens, oftentimes we're left with that question. Why should I even bother sharing the gospel? So many people reject it. These people were threatening Paul's life. People were laughing at him. Some of the people in that crowd were the ones who beat him. And yet he stood boldly proclaiming the gospel. Why bother at all? Why should we bother sharing the gospel? Flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, both neighbors, aunts, uncles, grandchildren, Co-workers, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than all human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than all human strength. As you share the gospel, the Holy Spirit will have already been working before that moment. Because gospel-sharing events are orchestrated by God. As you go, as you share, God is moving. God is saving. Finally, and in conclusion, how do we respond to Paul's bold proclamation of the gospel? Like, what does that have to do with you and me? Finally, I want to draw your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I want to give you a little encouragement. I want you to leave this place so on fire for Jesus that you can't help but to go to the very next place and tell people about how Jesus changed your life. Can I tell you a little bit about your identity in Christ? Okay, since Joey shook his head yes, 
I'm going to do it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Think about your life before Christ. Think about your blind search for hope and purpose and peace. Think about what God did in your life that moment when some sweet saint came into your life and told you about the gospel. Think about that moment when God opened up your heart and he opened up your eyes to see the truth of the word. When you turned from your sin and you received Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came and indwelled your heart. And think about your life now. Church, we live a good, good life. We have hope and peace and purpose not to mention the fruits of the Spirit as we abide in God's commands. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those available and given to us by our God. You are chosen by God. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you feel rejected, dejected, separated, and alone. Friend, you are chosen by God. He knew you. He knit you together in the womb. And he picked you. You're chosen by him. You're made righteous by God. All of your sins, all of your mistakes have been forgiven. So much so that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his perfect son. You are a part of God's royal family. I don't know what kind of family you came from. Might have been a great family. It might not have been a great family. But you're a part of God's family now. You are a son and a daughter of God. You are holy and you belong to him for one express purpose of praising him for the work that he's done in your life through Jesus Christ. Now what should we do about this? In a few minutes we're going to leave, but we're going to leave with a mission. Called by God to do three things. Christians, celebrate and praise God for everything that he's done and is doing in your life. Can I get a praise God? God. All right. We're just going to do that when we leave this place, right? We're just going to praise God in everything that we do because of what he's done in our lives. Number two, tell people about what God's done in your life. Has God done a great work in your life? Right? So like every day when you wake up and you have breath in your lungs and your heart is beating, that's a work that God has done in your life. You could praise God for that. You could tell your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, hey, when they say, how you doing? 
praise God, I'm alive today. God woke me up. I'm living life. God is good. He's done a great work in my life. Can I tell you about what God's done in my life? You know what? People in this culture today, they're looking for joy. Amen? They're not getting it from the news. They're not getting it in most places around this world. They're looking for joy. You, Christian, you are a magnificent source of joy for the people in this world and in this community. And God is sending you from this place for the express purpose of being joyful. Can you smile? Boom. That's the first step. Finally, third, live by faith in God that he will keep saving people. According to his promises. Do y'all believe that God fulfills his promises? Anybody in here? You know one of God's promises is that he's going to continue to build his kingdom until Jesus comes back? You know what that means? That people will keep being saved. That disciples will be made by hearing the gospel and saved, and they'll continue to grow in Christ. God has this magnificent movement taking place on this planet among all people everywhere from all tribes and tongues and nations. God is using people all over this world not only to praise him, but to proclaim the gospel so people could be here and be saved, and God's army is continue to grow until Jesus returns. So the question I have for you is, will you leave this place and proclaim the gospel? Will you leave this place with joy in your heart, telling people about what Jesus has done in your life? Will you leave this place believing that God desires to use every single one of you to lead just one more to faith in Jesus? We're going to have a time of invitation now. If you are new here, what's going to happen in a second, we're going to all stand up and we're going to sing a song together. And this is your opportunity to respond to whatever God's doing in your heart. If you need prayer, come forward and I'll pray with you. If you heard the gospel for the first time today and you need to be saved, you come forward. I'm going to show you how to do that. If you need to join the church, be baptized, whatever it is, this is a moment of decision for us as a congregation to respond to whatever God's laid on our hearts. Would you stand with me now? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time, over this moment of decision, however your spirit is moving, I pray that you would give us the faith to respond. I pray that this would be a fruitful time for us to respond to the spoken word, rightly preached. In Jesus' name I pray.